Listener Production. So a lot of the media has moved on, but the flood devastation around Lismore and the Northern Rivers is still going, and it's just still so hard to believe they've been flooded twice in the space of a month. The second time around, everyone is just flattened, completely flattened. There's no energy, there's no adrenaline, everyone's fatigued completely. In this episode, we check back in with people who've been devastated twice. How are they going? Are they getting the help they need? I know it's well-meaning, but it's not enough. It's not going to be anywhere near enough. That is our briefing. First, today's headlines with Jan Fran. It's Thursday, April 7. Hello, Tom. We're starting with the dangers of campaigning in a pub. As Scott Morrison found out the hard way, he was confronted by a disgruntled pensioner in a pub in Newcastle. So he was campaigning at the Edgeworth Tavern. This was last night. And the man fronted him. He was repeatedly pointing his finger at the Prime Minister and he accused him of breaking election promises. We've got to help all those people that work all their lives, pay their taxes... Oh, it sounds pretty messy, doesn't it? Um, he also accused him of breaking a promise in relation to establishing the Integrity Commission. So that was pretty awkward, but you know, this is what we get during election time. And it was happening over the other side of the country to uh, Anthony Albanese. And I reckon this one was more awkward, Jan. Uh, listen to this moment from a press conference where a member of the public tried to chime in and ask a question. I've got a tough question. Hang on, hang on. Hang Are you but, up for sorry, it? We I've, got a, I've got a tough question. Are you up for it? Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely up for it. Okay. And, uh, and sorry, we can't really do that. I don't think the media will mind at all. I've, I've, I've said, are you up for it? Are you up for it? I'm absolutely up okay, for it. Okay, so yeah. my question is... Um, you not, no, not, we're, not, we're, we're just taking questions from journalists because that's what you do at a press conference. So you're not up for any- Wow. Mate, just ask the question. Oh, that's what I was waiting for the guy to do. Just shoot. Ask the question. Put him on the spot. He just kept asking questions about asking the question. Are you up for it? Yeah, it's always tough, tough in these sort of circumstances, isn't it? Because the opposition leader and the prime minister want to both make themselves look like Men of the people, they mm. want to look like they're answering the punters' questions, um, you know, <laughs> saying point blank they're up for it. Clearly they're not. But things can really go awry when members of the public start asking questions and politicians can be put on the spot and usually they're surrounded by cameras and it's very embarrassing for them. We saw that, for example, um, with the Prime Minister during the bushfires when he was shaking hands with locals who just weren't having it and that image has sort of stayed with us for years. So it's a very, very tricky line, but a very funny line as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's why the Prime Minister so carefully stage managed his uh, recent visit to the floods uh, in Lismore. You know, yesterday with Anthony Albanese, yes, generally you only want journalists asking questions. There is a certain protocol there and they're not necessarily wide open public forums. But by the time someone's got up there and got that far, just tank the question. Yeah, or just ask it. Yeah. <laughs> Referring to that gentleman. Meanwhile, staying with the PM, he's uh, come under fire for another thing as well, this time for refusing to go halves with the Queensland government in flood recovery funding. So as you'll hear in today's briefing, he also ruled out going halves with New South Wales to fund uh, their flood recovery program. In Queensland, the Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk wrote to the Prime Minister in March uh, on the 19th, asking him to co-fund their program. He refused, and this is how he responded to questions about it yesterday. The requests they've made under these programs go outside of the scope 
of what the normal arrangements are for flood responses. And so that's where state governments have to step up. Yeah, needless to say, uh, Queensland is not happy there with that reaction from the PM. Here's what the state's acting Premier Cameron Dick had to say. This is the highest level of disrespect for Queenslanders and the highest level of disrespect for our state from the Prime Minister. So Morrison, when he refused it in his letter to Queensland, he said uh, the coalition had already pledged $927 million in flood contribution to Queensland and that included those uh, $1,000 disaster payments. Hundreds of millions of those have been paid out already, um, plus recovery grants of up to $25,000 for small businesses. Yeah, so this particular package, Queensland, will have to fund on its own. I do recall when it was announced there was quite a bit of, I won't say excitement, but I think there was a bit of confidence that the federal government would come in and chip in for this, and, and they haven't, so hugely disappointing for that state. And another story, Jen, um, Walid Ali did a very interesting interview with Michael Toke on the project last night. So this is the guy that was up against Scott Morrison for pre-selection back in 2007. And you wrote a fair bit about this on Twitter over the weekend. This is a real headache for the Prime Minister. There's been allegations that he used um, this gentleman, Michael Toke's Lebanese background against him to keep him out of the seat of Cook in 2007, which, of course, Scott Morrison won. Um, so there's been all these questions around how it is that he actually came to that seat. Now, Michael Toke, who said last night in his interview, had been dragged into this against his will. He was just minding his own business. Um, the story came out. He's responded and, and really pulled no punches, um, calling the Prime Minister a liar, saying he's not fit to be Prime Minister, and basically standing by his claims that his race um, and his heritage, his Lebanese heritage, was used against him. And furthermore, here's the real bombshell allegation Mm. that he made last night, that a cabinet minister in Morrison's government, someone very close to Scott Morrison, had texted him saying, I believe you and do what you need to do. So essentially showing support for Michael Toke speaking out against the Prime Minister. This is someone within his cabinet. We don't Mm. know who, but we know very close to the Prime Minister. The PM's going to announce the election any day now. He's already had growing disquiet among his ranks of people who work with him, who've come out and said horrible things about him. He doesn't need another one. And the US President Joe Biden has announced a fresh wave of sanctions against Russia. So these will target Vladimir Putin's daughters, cutting them off from the US financial system and freezing assets they hold in America. And the White House statement also says they'll be targeting two of Russia's biggest banks, the foreign minister, his wife, and banning new American investment in Russia, even private investment. Yeah, so this is one of those things where the statement sort of said that they believe that family members of these high-ranking Russian officials are usually the ones that are sort of hiding the Mm. money and supporting the Russian regime. So they're really casting the net increasingly wider from Vladimir Putin um, to encompass the rest of his circle as well. Britain also announced that it's going to ban imports of Russian coal by the end of the year. So we'll see how many more dominoes fall in terms of banning products from Russia. And the coast of New South Wales is being hit by heavy rain again. Parts of Sydney got uh, more than 100 millimetres yesterday. In Nowra to the south, they got well over 100 mil. And the bomb says there's more on the way. Heavy and persistent showers over the coming days will increase the chance of flash flooding and landslips over already saturated catchments. That was the bomb's Sarah Sully there delivering some bad news. 
Today is expected to be the heaviest of the rainfall totals in excess of 200 to 250 millimetres plus a further 100 millimetres. Tomorrow, I must say, the consistent rain is is really bumming me out. I know there are people who've been through a lot. It just feels like the clear skies just don't last and I miss the sunshine. I miss just being able to go for a walk, you know? Oh, yeah. It's a uh, it's a terrible scene. Um, people cancelling things all over the place. Uh, a friend of mine just cancelled a big festival um, in Hunter over the weekend and yeah, it just doesn't seem to stop. So at the moment, it's mostly hitting between um, Gosford on the central coast through to Bega on the south coast. So the most heavily populated areas of New South Wales. So this is an interesting story. That's um, Ed Sheeran's song, Shape of You. So he's won a court case in the English High Court over the song. Grime artist Sammy Shokri, who performs as Sammy Switch, argued the chorus from Shape of You had been copied from his song from 2015, Oh Why. Definite similarities there, but the judge found that there was no evidence that Sheeran had ripped off Sammy Switch's hook. So similar, not the same, not a rip-off. That's according to the judge. So Sheeran took to social media after the decision was handed down. This is what he said. I'm not an entity. I'm not a corporation. I'm a human being. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a son. Lawsuits are not a pleasant experience. And I hope with this ruling, it means in the future, baseless claims like this can be avoided. Yeah, I'm not an entity or a corporation, but I am very rich. And that song has maybe millions of dollars. Anyway, he's won the case. Um, It's become a best-selling song, digital song worldwide. 5.6 billion views on YouTube too. Yikes, that is huge. Yeah, I don't think you'd be feeling too good if you were Sammy Chokri at the moment, listening to that, thinking it's so similar to the the song I produced and yet this guy's made millions off it. Give me $1 million, please. That's all. (laughs) All right, Jam, we'll catch you later. I'm about to speak to people who've been flooded twice. On February 28, the rain bomb hit southeast Queensland, flooding 20,000 homes. And then the rain kept coming, hitting the northern rivers of New South Wales. Lismore was smashed with its biggest flood ever, and dozens of other communities were inundated and cut off, with around 6,000 homes flooded in that northern rivers area. Now, as we reported here on the briefing at the time, locals scrambled to first rescue each other and then immediately start offering support, help and relief. Choppering and hiking in supplies to cut off communities. Tradies and all kind of community members rolled up their sleeves and were working around the clock to clear the mud and mould and the debris from each other's homes. Now at that stage there was anger that the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet called it a one in 1,000 year event because Lismore had a massive flood in 2017 and the record that was smashed by this flood was only set in the 70s. Now, very few people believed the next flood would be less than a month away. But that's what happened. On March 29, Lismore residents were told to evacuate again as the rain came down. The river rose nearly a metre over the town levee, which meant it flooded again. So let's find out how that's affected locals and if they're getting the help they need. Harper Dalton is a social worker whose property's been hit twice. Harper, how bad was it the first time? 
So the first time it came just below my ceiling, everything I owned was completely trashed and ruined. You can't really describe what it's like walking into a house that has experienced flooding. There's furniture everywhere. It's covered in mud. And um, unfortunately, it's all the things that you come home to that make a house a home. So what were the next few days like? Uh, The next few days were basically a blur, a lot of cleaning, a lot of help from friends. I got in there as soon as the waters came down. I've just really kind of gone day at a time. So it was just full on cleaning from probably 6am till about 7pm because at that time we were still in daylight savings. I've never worked so hard in my entire life and covered in mud. Everything is just mud. You're getting it in your face, in your eyes. Like it was insane. The words from the Premier at the time were this was a one in 1,000 year event, which technically might have been true in terms of its probability, but many people are questioning that given there was bad flooding not that long ago at all. So did you, when you were cleaning your house, expect you could be flooded again within a month? Not within a month. However, I've lived in Lisbon my whole life. I went through the 2017 flood and I was living in an apartment on top of a shop in the main business district and I had SES boats floating past my window. The house that I bought two years ago, I knew flooded in that 2017 flood, so I knew that there was a chance that it would flood but not within a month from the biggest flood we've ever had in our life. So I think that trying to call them 1 in 100 or 1 in 1,000 kind of now is a bit redundant. Well, things are changing and I guess those probabilities are based on history. But as we're seeing, the frequency of these events seems to be changing for the worse. So what was it like when a month later the rain started coming down in bulk again? Probably the first word that comes to my mind is traumatic. Having to pack up everything that you've got there, which is very small. It all fits in a car now, but just having to go through that process again really brought back a lot of those memories of doing it the first time. And I never would have expected that first time it involved losing everything. So, you know, you go through a lot of thoughts like, you know, is this even worth it? Can I keep doing this? Um, It was just an extremely traumatic experience to have to go through it so soon after. Had you finished cleaning up yet? No, God, no. It's going to be I don't even know a time frame, but the minimum would probably be about six months. Like I just yesterday, I'm pulling off all the insides of the walls wow. um, because they've got mold and mud in them. You know, five days prior to that, I was re-graveling the entire driveway because everything's mud. So when you clean something and you walk mud back in the house, it's a monumental task. It's almost like rebuilding a house. In the days and, and weeks after the first flood, um, there was a lot of criticism that Lismore and Northern Rivers locals were left to their own devices to rescue each other, to clean up each other's houses, and that the state and federal government were slow to act. How much support have you had in total, and has it come anywhere near enough? No. Uh, So I've only received the $3,000 from the federal government, which was through Centrelink. Now, when you're talking about replacing everything that you can imagine in the house, from everything in the kitchen, everything in the bathroom, damage to the house. The, like I just can't even start. Basically, the $3,000 is just kind of covering my everyday living costs. My employer was also infect- affected, so I'm on leave without pay. 
So the amount of support that I've received from government bodies on all levels has been pretty dismal. All of the help that I have received has been from friends, strangers and community organisations. The firefighters and the army have done brilliant, but they were deployed far too late in my opinion. And there has been reports that have come out that have shown that they would have liked to be here earlier on the ground, but unfortunately they weren't able to do so. All of my neighbours are elderly The one next to me and the one across the road are quite elderly, within their 70s or 90s, and they both had to get rescued in tinny boats and on jet skis. And just to think of an elderly person Mm. having to go through that, just insane. Like I just can't even describe It's hard talking about it because it's hard to describe. That was Harper Dalton. Let's go to another uh, local in Lismore. Edwina Lloyd is a lawyer. She's also been fundraising for flood victims and she's a former town councillor, so that means she's pretty in touch with her community. Edwina, tell us about your partner's house. What happened there? Yeah, the first time was just devastating. It was like thousands of others here in Lismore. The water went all the way into his house and, you know, he's lost everything. So everything's been pulled out from the house and in the yard to get cleaned and salvaged what we can. And then we got hit with the second flood and that just slapped underneath his floorboards. It didn't go in the house. But for him and me and everyone in Lismore, that second flood was more psychologically traumatic mm. than the first one. Like the first one did a lot of damage, but the second one was just, are you kidding me? Like, mm. are you kidding? Is this really happening? And there was a lot of uncertainty about the weather reports the, the night that that second flood was happening. Many of us did not go to sleep at all. You know, there was a hybrid cyclone going on. None of the weather reports predicted, again, what was happening. So I guess that's given people a lot of uncertainty and it's very destabilising, not having any trust in any predictions. I can almost hear it in your voice. It's like you can't understand what's happening to you and that is just so painful. We were just getting back on our feet, you know. We just cleared all the houses. We were just starting. People were ripping things out, rebuilding having all that energy to do it and motivation. And the second time around, everyone is just flattened, completely flattened. There's no energy. There's no adrenaline. Everyone's fatigued completely. A lot of people are very worried about being able to rebuild and what they're going to have to do. Do we bother doing anything right now? Because next week the weather is saying more rain is coming. So very uncertain time for the community. So if I walked around Lismore now, would I see a very different reaction to the most recent flood compared to the flood a month ago? You'd see tired and worn out people moving slower. You know, we've got a sparky friend that just came down to stay to help out and do some work and he's lived in Lismore before and he just could not believe it. It really, you really need to come here to see the devastation and You know, he's, you know, looking at CBD businesses and homes that need rewiring, you know, that's going to cost $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 to rewire places. So people are going to be facing that devastation as well. It's just incredibly um, sad is probably the best word to describe walking through Lismore right now. Yeah, wow. We really feel for you. It's just impossible to imagine what that's like and how traumatic it is. And then, you know, again, to still see more forecasts of Mm. rain. um, So you have no idea when it actually will ease up. Let's talk about the help that you are and aren't receiving. Obviously, there was the massive blow up in the week after the first flood, a real sense that people were left alone. This week, the latest is that Dominic Perrottet, your premier, has announced $20,000 to residents who weren't insured. 
How far does that go? Is that helping much and what's missing? I know it's well-meaning, but it's not enough. It's not going to be anywhere near enough, you know, when we're thinking about the rewiring that's going to cost at least 10 grand for people's homes. Like they have literally lost everything. And there's just a great psychological trauma as well. I don't know how people are going to get back up financially. I guess the biggest shock for everyone is, although we're all quite um, well-informed on climate change, we never thought that it was just going to happen so suddenly. I guess we just didn't see it coming to us so quickly. That is what is really frightening people, is that it's actually here at our doorstep. It's not something in the future. It's right here, right now. This actually is a climate emergency and they're not just words. Like emergency means you need to act right now. For that in Lismore, that's really real for us. Uh, That is probably the biggest kind of issue coming up to this next election that everyone's looking at. So you said the 20 grand will will help some people and go part of the way, although it gets soaked up pretty quickly when you talk about rewiring costing 10 grand, then you've got everything else to spend. Mm. What support is, is missing? There's been some conjecture that New South Wales government asked Scott Morrison to go halves in this 20 grand payment and he basically refused. refused. What's the sense about the federal government's response now? There's obviously been a lot of disappointment along the way. Where's it at at this point? Oh, the same, the same. You know, we're really disappointed in um, the Prime Minister and his not coming to the party with this and going halves with the state on anything. You know, he's not willing to do that, but he's willing to subsidise the fossil fuel industry's $12 billion in the last financial year. You know, people are looking at it in that frame as well. It's like, well, you're willing to do this and do all these handouts for JobKeeper, but in Lismore, in a natural disaster, we've got this $4.8 billion federal disaster fund Mm. there that Shane Stone sits on, and they're barely touching that because Bridget McKenzie, I think, Senator McKenzie said they were saving it for the next disaster. I mean, it's galling. It's absolutely galling. So the financial assistance is completely inadequate from the federal. It's not going to be enough from the state. So everyone is like trying to scramble for whatever funds they can get. We really could have had people on the ground here just case managing people who are flood affected and applying for all of the funds and going to the charities and seeing what's available and getting all of those things for people. So But, you know, at the end of the day, that doesn't amount to much either. You know, it's not going to be enough to rebuild um, homes and Mm. the CBD. It's just that there is going to be a huge gap and people are going to leave, I think, you know, unless the state and federal government genuinely consider crown land and opening up some more land and land swaps and buying people out, the community is just going to be completely shattered and displaced. That's Edwina Lloyd or Eddie Lloyd, as locals in Lismore know her, and I think she gave a real sense there of how demoralising the situation is to be flooded twice, that the first time around people were getting into it, but the second time they're just totally dejected. And she echoed the sense that a lot of people were feeling up there that the federal government haven't really stepped up to the plate. They did provide the disaster relief payments of up to $3,000, which helped somewhat, and the ADF were appreciated when they got there. But all that was even before they got flooded a second time. Now, probably no one's expecting a third flood, but still there is more rain on the way. Let's just hope that it peters out and this community can properly dry out and get back on their feet again. Listener.